0: While Rails does incorporate sensible defaults for security, it's essential to recognize that no framework is inherently secure. Any framework can be vulnerable if used improperly. And being fallible humans, we are prone to making mistakes and erroneous assumptions Potentially resulting in security flaws. This is where the expertise of Spectre Security proves invaluable. Whether you're seeking to identify vulnerabilities in your application before malicious actors do, or require penetration tests to meet compliance standards, or even need assistance with any security-related concerns, Spectre Security is here to help. For further details, please visit spectr 8 consultancy That's s-p-e-k-t-r-h-q.com slash consultancy. Link in the show notes. Welcome to the Rails changelog. Jorge. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here, man. Thank you. Am I pronouncing your name correctly?
1: Jorge. Uh, yep. Jorge. That's perfect. Yeah. Jorge. I would say Jorge. But it's, a, it's, it's ha- Jorge. Yeah. Jorge. But it's, it's hard to pronounce for, for, for English-speaking people. I'm super used to mispronunciations.
0: Jorge is perfect. <laughs> I also had difficulties pronouncing Xavier's name. And I think you're both from the uh, same region, right?
1: Xavier. You, yeah, Xavier. Noria, uh, he's from from Catalonia. Uh, I'm living in Valencia. So those are two close regions. We are not uh, uh, exactly in the same place. But yeah, Xavier is, is from, from Catalonia. Xavier. You would, you would say it's Xavier.
0: Yeah, and uh-huh. you are Jorge. Okay, I think I got. I got Jorge. at least I'm closer. <laughs> yeah. So so okay. let's let, yeah let's let's do this thing. Uh, for I just like let, yesterday I just noticed that for all the visitors like for all the guests that I have on the Rails changelog, I never asked them to introduce themselves, and I was um, that's partly my fault because I I had for some reason presumed that. Everyone knows these people in the Rails community, but and and we don't need an introduction just to save time. But then I realize there are people listening to the Rails changelog that don't know my guest. So you're going to be the first guest that I'm going to ask to introduce yourself. So can we please get an introduction, Jorge?
1: Oh, for sure. So, well, my name is Jorge Manrubia. I'm a, a programmer uh, who lives in Valencia, in Spain. I'm currently working for Thirty Seven Signals as a Rails programmer, as a Rails programmer, sorry. And uh, in terms of Rails, I'm the, the main author behind Active Record Encryption, and uh, I also write regularly on all sorts of subjects uh, in the Thirty Seven Signals blog. Uh, I'm writing a series of articles Rails called uh, "Code I uh, Like," about uh, how we do Rails at Thirty Seven Signals. Um yeah, I think that's a fair introduction myself. Right.
0: So so uh, if I got it right, you're the lead programmer at 37signals.
1: Yes, I'm a, a lead programmer at 37signals. Yeah, I used to work in the security infrastructure and performance team uh, in the company. And recently this year, I moved to product. But I'm, uh, yeah, okay. so I'm now a lead programmer in the, in the product team at 37signals.
0: Right, okay, cool. I think the first time we met was at the Speakers Dinner at Rails World in Amsterdam. And there briefly we talked about the some of the the philosophy of thirty seven signal uh, thirty seven signals. And um now I now that I have your attention I just want to ask you briefly how is working at thirty seven signals like how would you describe it? Well uh-
1: that's a good question. I mean, I love it. Uh, I don't think it's a uh, uh, maybe. It's kind of very subjective. Uh, the way we work at Thirty Seven Signal, it works for uh, some people, and it probably doesn't work for other. You Not know, say like it's like a, a you know a, a universal paradise for for everyone. Uh, in my case, I absolutely love it. Thirty Seven Signal is a company that I have looked up to since uh, through my whole career. Uh, I used to work a lot with, with Java and Java Enterprise and when it exploded I was like uh, always paying attention to what they were doing and fascinated by, by the company and what what, what they do um, I think that they're very open about how they work in the company uh, about the, the, the working culture so if you are if you follow along with their uh, book and uh, essays and writings like you really get a pretty good idea of how it is working working here. Like the no-meetings culture, uh, the technical bar is very high. They give you a lot of autonomy since the first day. So uh, this idea of the the manager of one day kind of uh, push forward is totally true. Uh, I was surprised when I landed here how how much uh, confidence they had, how the, the amount of trust, how they the amount of autonomy I had since, since my first day, so uh, I like it a lot here. Here and uh, they have been a huge influence in in how I see work in general. How, how to work to me, I, I've been heavily influenced by by them before joining Thirty Seven Signals, and now that I'm working with them for sure, I really they are very thoughtful about they're very thoughtful about technology. They're very thoughtful about their product, but they're very thoughtful also about how the company works. So, uh, this idea of treating your company as a product is something they, they practice. So they are kind of pragmatic and they, they try to design things very intentionally so that things work in a certain way. And I think it's pretty cool to, yeah, experience from
0: my side. Good to know. I'm I'm happy that you're enjoying your work, and um, I also enjoy your uh, I also enjoy the work that you do for the open source community. And Thank one you. of the highlights, sure, one of the highlights of your uh, work for for instance, Ruby on Rails is um, active record encryption. And let's talk about it um, before we move on to the main topic for this um, interview, which would be about Turbo 8. Now, um, changing encryption properties for attributes could be challenging. Um, Is there a way you think Rails developers can smoothly transition from previous encryption schemes without breaking existing data when for, 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 for any reason they want to change the encryption scheme in the application?
1: Sure. We actually, we have, uh, active record encryption supports doing that, supports migrating from other encryption schemes. Uh, this is actually, uh, I added this out of pure need because, uh, right before open sourcing active record encryption, uh, I discovered like a very serious flaw in the way we were serializing data. So we we were already using the library internally before open sourcing it. it. So uh, we had a lot of uh, hay data encrypted and and I had to migrate all that data to a new encryption scheme. Uh, So I I added an option which is previous. So when you are declaring an an encrypted attribute, there is an option called previous it comes, I think it comes documented in the, in the guide uh, of active record encryption. Uh, with that option, you can pass like a list, okay? And the list can contain objects that define uh, properties for previous encryption schemes. So uh, this is kind of, I mean, it's not like a super, uh, I mean, you, did, you really need to know what you're doing, but... Uh, uh, it lets you override like any component of active record encryption uh, in, in those previous encryption schemes, so that for example, you can change the cipher. You can say, okay, I'm encrypting this attribute. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use whatever is uh, the, the current encryption attributes defined globally in the application, but I'm going to support this previous encryption scheme. And in this previous encryption scheme, I'm going to support. I'm going to use this cipher, and that means that record encryption is going to use uh, that it's going to use all the new the newest encryption scheme for encrypting new data but when it comes to unencrypted uh, decrypting sorry decrypting uh, existing data it's going to try with the current encryption scheme and then with all the oldest older uh, encryption schemes so it's going to try with that cipher eventually before failing let's say so that's uh that's how, how the system works. It's supported. But it's still like migrating existing existing scheme is a big project, delicate work. You really need to know what you're doing. Uh but it's supported. We we actually have used it.
0: Right. And um, um just thinking about this this issue right now, uh I, I think yesterday I posted on Twitter about how Rails makes it possible for you to be able to um accept certain um classes for serialization especially when you're serializing your attributes inside of rails in rails you have the possibility to serialize individual attribute and then there you can accept uh, certain classes uh, that you want i also noticed that correct me if my if i if i'm wrong i also noticed that with encryption you can also have an application-wide encryption and then you can have encryption on a per attribute um, basis. Isn't this a lot of things to juggle for the developer, considering that Rails always tries to put programmer happiness first?
1: Yeah, no. With encryption, actually, I mean, with in the way Active Record encryption works is that you configure the library, and when you configure the library, you have some defaults that you can use, and you, you don't really need to do anything else. Uh you need to provide some keys only. Um then you can configure the options. The the the, the main option option that you can configure is like the right now out of the box is the key provider. Uh there is like a more sophisticated key provider that you can use if, if you want, or a simple simplest uh one, which is the default. But other than that, those are like like the global options. So now, whenever you use encrypt to declare an encrypted attribute, uh the system is going to use those global options. Okay, so there is not like this global encryption thing. Uh, I mean, there are some global settings that you use whenever you use encrypt in the in the, in the app. So it's a pretty, uh, I think it's a pretty good conceptual compression. Like you as a user just have to define some keys and you can start using encrypt, and that's all you have to do. Everything is everything is going to work out, out of the box. How would you it? Talking about serialized attributes is that Rails? Are you talking about serialized attributes? Like for example, when you want to uh, store like an, an array or a hash in a text column, for example.
0: Uh, No, I was just comparing the features, the possibility that serialization in Rails gives you, which is that it gives you options to set uh, configurations for serialization application-wide. And it also gives you an option where you can have, um, where you can permit some uh, classes on certain attributes, right? That's just like more fine-grained. Okay,
1: okay. Yeah, this is the same. In the sense that you have some global options and you can like, You can use all the options on a per attribute basis. And you're right that that's, uh, I mean, I'm very obsessed when I'm creating some Rails API or when I'm creating some piece of software in general, like about the default path. The default path has to be very easy, very simple, uh, very seamless, so that users don't have to say, as you were saying, you know, users don't have to be concerned about the many options that active record encryption has. But also, I believe that a good library, in this case, active record encryption is an infrastructure library. But I think it's good that need, as long as the default path is nice and simple, it's good that there are options and that there are like, uh, sophistication and power for users that need, for example, to migrate from another existing encryption scheme or for users that need maybe a more sophisticated approach to providing keys. I, I think it's good to support that in an elegant way as long as the default path is to uh, is there, like what I would love to do is that uh, uh, an ugly API for everyone, an ugly and complex API for for everyone, definitely.
0: Right, okay, and these options with uh, encryption and changing schemes and everything else is um, assuming that one is already using Active Record encryption, but Active Record encryption um well relatively is um is 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 new and before active record encryption came around we had uh separate gems one example is um lockbox i'm not sure if you've heard of it yeah i've heard of that for sure yeah so we have lockbox for instance and Here's an example. Let's 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 imagine I have a Rails 5 application and I'm using Lockbox. But then I also want to take advantage of one of the gems that you've authored, which is console 1984, and then the other one, which is audit 1984, which are uh, sort of like connected tightly to active record encryption. Now, how do I migrate from, say, Lockbox to be able to take advantage of console 1984 and audit 1984?
1: Sure. So, uh, well, I haven't done this, uh, but what, how how would I approach this is, uh, so as I said, with this previous uh, option in Active Record Encryption, you can define components for uh, o- other encryption schemes. So there's a component in Active Record Encryption, which is the uh, Encryptor. There is a class which is called Encryptor, with a very simple interface to encrypt and decrypt data. Uh, so I would. Create a specific encryptor for, for logbox. So it's an encryptor that encapsulates how to interact with, uh, lockbox logbox, uh, encryption approach, whatever that is. So, uh, I would define like this previous, uh, scheme with this, encri- uh, logbox encryptor, maybe. Um, and I would, um, so, so with that in place, I should be able to decrypt, uh, existing data with that. And I'm, I'm going, to, I, I will be, Whenever you save a record uh, using uh, that um, attribute, it's going to re-encrypt the data with a new active record encryption approach. But it would support reading uh, existing log box encryption data. I would do that, and and with that in place, you should be able to to leverage console nineteen eighty four. Um, yeah, I would definitely. That will be like how I would approach it, because uh, it's kind of similar to what what, what, di- what we did back in the day when we had to, to uh, when we completely changed the serialization approach in active record encryption internally before open sourcing li- the library. Uh, we went from using Marshall to using JSON, and it was kind of, you know, a major change where we just wanted to ha- to have full control about how to deserialize a payload, which was completely different to the new encryption scheme. so that's that's definitely feasible.
0: Right. Uh, this approach definitely sounds uh, uh, doable because I had previously imagined myself transitioning from lockbox to um, active record encryption, and I wasn't entirely sure how to how to approach it. But this definitely, um, the way you describe how to approach it definitely makes sense, so uh, we're good. Now, in Amsterdam in October of this year, uh, during your talk... I mean, DHH had the keynote, and then he talked about uh, the release of Turbo Eight. But then, during the talk, you your talk, you mentioned that Basecamp is developing a. I'm not sure if I should call it a tool or a product called Calendar, right? And you talked a bit about how you developed Calendar and the journey from the start. And and to the point where you are right now, what I want to ask right now is, uh, what specific challenges did you encounter in developing the Hey calendar that led you to explore alternatives like Morphin with Morphdom and um, Idiomorph?
1: Sure. Yeah, as you said, um yeah, the company is is working on uh, on a calendar, on a Hey calendar, a companion for the Hey email service uh that we are going to to launch, like kind of shortly. Even um, when, when the, the date is not is not public, but uh, we are like in the final stage of development, I can can confirm that. So, um, you know, the the problem, the the main motivation that uh, pushed me to explore the morphine thing was um, that rendering rendering a calendar is hard. It's harder than a normal application. So, in in in, in most web applications web management applications, you normally render data, you know, kind of listing elements, one under the other or uh, one beside the other. But it's normally, you, you have a list of elements you want to render and you render kind of lists of data or maybe uh, uh, forms where you can interact with data. Mm, when you're rendering a calendar, it's different. It's like you have like uh again, a two dimensional uh, canvas, which is highly interactive and where you can render data in all sorts of different ways, depending on their attributes. Um, So something I noticed um, when I was working on the calendar is that first of all, I started um, for the first screens that uh, we prepared, we started using the approach I would recommend anyone to use when you are building a Rails application with with Hotwire, which is a uh, whole page rendering with regular turbo navigation, meaning that uh, you you have the calendar, you create a new event. For example, you, push, uh, you send the form uh, to the server. The server says, okay, render the calendar again. Okay. That's the default uh, turbo approach of doing things. Um, it feels good. Turbo under the hood uh, does some tricks to perform those page refreshes fast. That's like the whole idea of Turbolinks from 2012, uh, that it replaces the body and keeps the, the header asset. So it feels like very good, much better than it, if it was a, an actual full page uh, load. So we were using that. We get the first screen moving. And, uh, when we started thinking about how we were going to make things feel more responsive, we hit this trait that I was talking about, which is that rendering in a calendar is hard. And that translates into performing partial updates, uh, in a screen when the rendering is hard, it's hard, it's harder actually, um, because You can say, okay, I'm creating this event. Uh, I'm going to append this container to this other container. And that's it. Like there can be all sorts of circumstances. Like the event can be, uh, I don't know, imagine a traditional calendar grid. It can be one day, multiple days, multiple weeks. There can be some overlapping event that are going to be affected by it. Um, and also we have, we are rendering all sorts of novel calendar elements in this new product. So this was like a, a very complex problem to solve with partial updates when you have to say, okay, I'm going to update this event in a very efficient way. Um, I don't want to re-render the full screen. I want to say, uh, I want to be very smart and only the update the screen region that has changed so that it feels really good. The code you need to write to make that happen is complex. And I didn't want to, to, to do that. I, I, we didn't want to do that. It was like a, a very unproductive path uh, for all the things we wanted to do and for the, uh, you know, periods of time we were thinking of. So uh, that's how Morphine came to the, Morphine came to, I mean, I explored Morphine as a way of using full-page re-render operations that felt better. That's the the whole point of
0: morphing. You mentioned earlier um, that you, if like if you're using the turbo default way, the idea is that you replace the body um, with whatever updates the body has. So you you replace the whole of the body, uh, but. Just a second ago you also mentioned um full page reloads. So I'm quite lost. It's not entirely a full page reload because a full page for me would be like including the headers yeah. and the body, right? Yes.
1: Sorry, yeah. Let me let me clarify that. Okay. So you have uh so let's talk about the different ways of rendering um a full page, okay? With uh without turbo, with turbo and with morphing. Okay. So without turbo, as you said, uh you know, the browser sends a request. The server uh, uh, sends back a response uh, with an HTML document, and the browser replaces the full document, the the head, the head, and the body of the document. You get like a traditional, a traditional. That's a traditional web navigation. Okay, so we can go to Turbo. Turbo, like uh, before morphing, Of uh, that's the default Turbo behavior. What Turbo does is that it uh, instead of uh, performing this full uh, page navigation operation, uh, Turbo um, intercepts, like what the browser is going to do, matches asynchronously, like the, the, the request, um, the request contents, like the, the full HTML in the request and it grabs the body from the request and it replaces the current body of the page. Okay. As long as I mean, it does a lot of checks to do that, but that's the, the whole idea. It's, it, it replaces the body, so it, it doesn't replace the full document. It replaces the body, and by doing that, it prevents having to reprocess all the CSS and JavaScript. And it feels like much faster, like much faster, hundreds of milliseconds faster, compared to uh, you know, in a in a big web application, it's it's uh, it's very noticeable. It's very noticeable. In fact, it's one of the great things of Turbo when you first, when you're not using it and you suddenly add the gem, you notice like how, how nice, how much nicer it feels. And I I always find that like super nice. Like just by adding the gem, it feels better. Now, um, we are talking about morphing, and you're right that I was talking about, again, full page render operations, because that's what you, that's the illusion you have from the, as a programmer. So, with this, in these different approaches, I'm talking about the programmer. You, as a web programmer, you are always doing the same. Okay, you are saying, um, "I'm getting this this uh, request. I'm going to render this screen, or I'm going to redirect to this other screen." You, as a programmer, you don't care if Turbo is replacing the body or is uh, replacing the full document or what's doing. As a programmer, you are just re rendering everything again. Okay. So uh, with morphing, what happens is that now, instead of replacing the body of the page, something inside Turbo, what it's going to do is to grab the existing body of the page, like the tree of DOM elements in the body, and it's going to create uh, a similar tree uh, with the new body, with the new content that is coming from the server, and it's going to compare both trees okay, in memory. And it's going to, to try to match. All uh, the notes from one tree with the notes with the other tree so that it only changes those elements and contents that change. Uh, This means that, you know, if you have only, imagine that you have like a big page, but you have only changed one text in that page. So when you use morphing, the original body remains untouched. You don't change anything but the text that changed. And there is, the cool thing is that there is a library doing that. There is a library doing that for you. You, as a programmer, don't care. You say, OK, I want to re render everything again. Even when I, when I know that only a little bit, a very short sentence changed, I'm going to send everything again. And this library is going to calculate the difference for me and apply that very smoothly. That's, the, that's how morphing works. And uh, that's kind of the third level. We are adding here, uh, or the new the new way of rendering bodies. Uh, we are adding here in, with with Turbo
0: Morphing, yeah. And on the subject of morphing, in one of your blog posts, you mentioned the use of um, MorphDom and then later Idiomorph for Dom Morphing. Could you share some insight into why you chose Idiomorph over MorphDom?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, we yeah we started using Morphdom, which is a very well-known library. It's the library that uh, Phoenix uh, Live View uses, um, and uh, it's been around for, for many years. And uh, we started using Morphdom. One problem with with Morph with Morphdom was that Morphdom in when when Morphdom is doing this matching of trees, I was talking about when it's trying to match. Nodes from one tree with nodes from the other tree in order to see if they are equal or if they need to change. You know the morphing algorithm itself relies on having IDs on uh, most of the DOM elements that you want to match. So matching is always based on IDs. Okay. So something I found with the calendar and Morphdom was that I no, uh, I often found myself having to add IDs. That I wouldn't have added otherwise, you know. So so that I could help the morphine, the morphine algorithm to work. It's like okay, I'm, I'm I want to match this uh, container here with this other container here. It's not working. I need to add an ID so that it works. By the way, working by working, I mean that, I mean morphine always works. But the problem when 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 morphine, you know, when the algorithm doesn't does the matches right? One problem you see is that you lose like the, the benefits of morphing because the algorithm is going to replace like a whole section of the screen and it's like you don't get any benefit, okay? So for morphing to work, you want the algorithm to match what you want to match. So Idiomorph uh, used a different approach uh, to, to matching, uh, which we found way better in practice because we found it was way less intrusive. It doesn't, it doesn't, Make you have to add IDs uh, everywhere. It just works uh, with very complex uh, rendering uh, structures and the performance is as fast as, as morph So when, you know, for me, discovering Idiomorph was, was great because the only part I wasn't liking about the whole idea was having to modify the markup with IDs so that morphing worked. That was incredibly intrusive. And we wanted it to feel seamless, so Idiomorph was, you know, wonderful discovery from from our side. Yeah.
0: Hey, Emmanuel Hayford here, and I want to tell you about AppSignal. AppSignal is a no-brainer monitoring for smart developers that allows you to track errors and performance in your apps. With AppSignal, you get beautiful dashboards that provide deep insights to quickly get to the root cause of problems. It's easy to set up. And with real human support, you'll be ready to track and crash backs within minutes after installation. Check AppSignal out at appsignal.com. That's A-P-P-S-I-G-N-A-L.com. If you look at the front end landscape of developing applications, especially with Rails, there are so many ideas um, all over the place. Uh, there is a, now there's Turbo 8, which has lots of new interesting features. But before Turbo 8 or even before Turbo, there were different ideas uh, like um, building applications, uh, front end applications with uh, traditional SPAs as we know it. And now we have uh, Morphin libraries jumping all over the place. What I want to ask is if you had to start a new project as a developer, um, I'm considering you're not going to be biased, of course, because you're going to choose the tool that makes more sense. What would you? consider when choosing um, an approach for a new project?
1: Um, so we're talking about front-end space. Uh, yeah, you can, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I'm honestly biased. Like I'm being honest here. If I say that I would start using Turbo, like it's the best front-end solution I know. And there is not even a close second uh for For that like for me Turbo is absolutely an absolutely outstanding uh piece of technology um now of course, you would have to to talk about the kind of application you're going to build uh right like if it's uh if you are building uh, i don't know traditionally you 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 know its just it's fun because you used to say okay, you' going to build a calendar, maybe m p c on the client some single page application makes sense uh but now I, I can't say that. Uh but yeah, I know if you are if you're building something very, very interactive. Uh imagine like a dashboard. If you're building a dashboard that updates in real time and that you really have like multiple updates per second, maybe with different things updating, probably turbo is not like the, the best solution there. Um now like you know, I, I I've thought a lot and written a lot about the front end uh, space. Um, I think that uh, a problem, like uh, kind of a perpetual problem in the front end space, like that you see everywhere, is that programming happiness comes second. Like it's not like a, a driving factor. Okay. Uh, so when you see, uh, I don't know if you pay attention, uh, this is all very subjective opinions. Okay. So please, these are subjective opinions I'm sharing. But when you, when you check something like, uh, like uh, React and uh, the React server components. If you really read, you know, how is the API, how it works, how you're supposed to use it, how you have like, you know, server components, client components, they have different APIs, different hooks, different expectations. Uh, Then you need that this meta framework so that you can deploy that in a realistic environment uh, on top of uh, React. Uh, Maybe you need to, to use the router from there and. For, for access the database I' going to use that when you when you try to wrap your head around what's implied in creating a Rails, uh, sorry a react application two thousand and twenty three it's like it's clear that to me that programming happiness is not the driving the driving engine there it's something else it's something else and something else can be something as legit as trying to innovate and trying to come uh with a novel way of creating applications that are very fast, very optimized for whatever reason. But there is not, you know, this programming happiness is the most important thing, uh, mindset at all. While in Turbo, it's completely different. Turbo is like programming happiness. I mean, not now. I mean, how it was created. And the, the, the philosophy in Turbo is like programming happiness comes first. And then... While respecting programming happiness, we are going to make things, uh, try to make things as good as possible. Okay. Which is also kind of uh, the Rails philosophy itself. So I think that's a distinct trait uh, of Turbo that I don't see uh, anywhere else uh, in the front end space. And that will be like my main pitch for for using uh, Hotwire against uh, Alternative.
0: Right. And um, during the announcement of, Actually, I think I saw this from your talk. Uh, In your talk, you mentioned that Turbo 8 is going to have something you call page refresh, right? Uh, First, before we move on to the other questions, I would like you to first briefly explain to me what page refresh is and how you and your team got to decide on this piece of technology into um turbo 8 how did the decision process um look like when you were thinking of adding page refresh into turbo 8
1: yeah so yeah that's a good question the thing is that in turbo 8 uh, we're going to introduce this concept of page refresh okay and a page refresh happens when you um uh, when you render the current page you are in again Okay, so imagine that you are in a page, you submit a form, uh, the server redirects back uh, to the current page you are in, that's a page refresh, okay? So you are in an existing page, you do something, you get that page refreshed. Uh, You, let's say, reload your current location. So we came with this concept because it's the concept where we want to use morphing, okay? Uh, we believe that that's the scenario where morphing makes sense because it's a scenario where morphing makes sense when you have like a given structure and you want to render it again and there is some part of it that has changed, okay? Because if, if, if you're navigating to a completely different application, you don't get any benefit with morphing. You are just doing with with JavaScript something that the browser does faster because the browser is very fast replacing nodes with new HTML. You don't need to, to use a JavaScript algorithm to compare things and, and change things. Now, if you know that the structure is mostly the same, Morphine makes a lot of sense because morphine is able to keep everything in place except changing the small things that, that have changed. So we're going to we, we have modified Turbo internally to detect these page refresh scenarios. And uh, now this is actually the API or the configuration API uh, in Truvo 8 for morphing. You're going to be able to say, okay, han- these page represses, you're, you can handle page uh with morphing. And you can do that by setting uh, a, head, uh, a header directive with uh, you know a, a certain head tag. Uh, there are also Rails helper to do that. You can say page refreshes are going to be handled with morphing. And uh, I want you to keep the scroll in place. We have two settings, keep the scroll, use Morphine. And page refreshes is like the scenario where that triggers. We don't let you use Morphine outside of this scenario, okay? So uh, the way we are going to introduce Morphine in Turbo is only for page refreshes. That's a, a good
0: point. The goal of Turbo 8 is to widen the happy programming path based on full page responses. Um, what I want to ask is how, how do you foresee this new system impacting the development experience in, in Turbo?
1: So, um, so my expectation with, uh, with this is that most users are going to have uh, like an improved responsiveness if they use this new morphing technology um, for free in most of the applications, in most of the scenarios. That would be like my goal.
0: Will the improvement be noticeable to the end user?
1: Yeah, of course. Like, meaning that, because, you know, this is a very common scenario that you want to submit a form. You are in a page, you submit a form, you want to see that page, how that page updates. You know, when you're building web applications with Rails, that's a scenario that repeats over and over. It's a very common pattern. So, my expectation is that for everyone using that pattern, um, users will be able to get a much better uh, responsiveness, much better experience, like uh, something that you can say, okay, this feels better. Uh, another expectation is that um, maybe in, in in for many existing applications, developers will be able to maybe replace uh, some stream actions that they now have with this new, they could remove the stream actions and just rely on these page refreshes with morphing uh, approach because the, the sensations are going to be kind of very similar in many scenarios. Okay. Not always, not always, but in many scenarios. And ultimately my goal would be like for, for new developers creating new Rails applications to be more productive because they can have they can rely on this technology to get great responsiveness without having to go down to the turbo frames realm, to the turbo stream actions realm. You know, staying in this in the full page uh, rendering realm that is so productive, they're going to get like better sensations. So that will be like my you know what I expect. So I'm eager to put this out there to see because I'm sure that we are going to find edge cases and things to polish when people start using this in their applications but uh, you know that, that those will be my goals yeah and my expectations
0: yeah sure and uh, are there specific scenarios or use cases where developers might still prefer to use trouble streams for higher fidelity despite the new enhancements in Turbo8? oh yes
1: um uh, yeah the thing is that as i was saying like this is not this is not going to be like the most responsive uh the way of getting like the the most uh, responsive uh, interactions with Turbo, uh, the, the the best way of getting like the, of maximising responsiveness is still going to be uh, a stream action. Okay, be- why? Because with the stream actions you can render very small responses on the server. You don't need to re-render everything again. Maybe you don't need to query all the data again. You can just prepare a very optimised uh, response with just the action or the set of stream actions that change the screen in the way you want. So that's going to be more responsive, okay? So uh, there are scenarios where you want like that extra responsiveness Responsiveness for sure. So those are not deprecated. The calendar application, of all the interactions we have, there is one place where we are using one stream action because there is an, kind of in, an interaction where we work, where we want uh, a lot of responsiveness, and it doesn't make sense to re-render everything again because we don't get like the responsiveness we want. There's one scenario for that, and uh, another scenario for a turbo frame, uh, another kind of additional scenario where we are using turbo frame. So those are not deprecated at all. Now, those should become more rare. That's the, the whole idea that you should use less of those with with morphing uh, in most in most applications. Yeah.
0: Recently, something happened within the community that I personally would like to get your view on now that I have you face-to-face here. And the the subject is about the new... and, Of course, we all appreciate the new enhancements in Turbo 8. But if I remember correctly, I think cable-ready were... Already um, had already implemented some of these 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 ideas. It's good we have them in Turbo Eight, and um, I saw some tweets that were like, um, you know, the 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 Cable Ready team has an uh, an an enormous experience when it comes to to these things. Do you think there is a chance the Turbo 8 team, or I don't know who manages uh, that, that team, uh, there, there, there could be a chance where the Cable Ready team would join forces or would learn from each other. The the common goal, of course, would be to provide better tools and better by experience for the Rails community. Do you think you or the Turbo 8 team will have, at some point in time, a plan to be able to make something like this happen?
1: Sure. And thanks for, thanks for bringing uh, this question. So, the first thing I want to say there is that I was indeed, uh, when we presented this uh, turboid with morphine uh, idea in ResWorld, World, uh, I got a lot of feedback from people in the cable ready team and uh, uh, stimulus reflex team like, okay, we, we've been doing this for years. And I, was, I kind of don't agree with that. Uh in the sense that they've been using morphing for years, yes, but the what we pre- what we presented and what they had in the library are completely different ideas, so cable ready and stimulus reflex are more in the uh spirit of uh oenix view than uh in the spirit of turbo, so to me it's not like uh, stimulus reflex and turbo are completely different libraries. And let me put up front that I have like maximum respect for the team behind uh, uh Cable Ready and Stimulus Reflex. They are all amazing uh programmers and they have made amazing contributions to Hotwire, uh uh to, to stimulus, to turbo itself. Uh so my appreciation and respect is let me put that up front, okay? But I don't agree that what they've been doing for five years was the same that we are going to we are presenting in in Uh, in in Red's world. The fact that they are using, uh, they have been using morphing, it means like an implementation detail, internal implementation detail, because if you check like stimulus reflex, uh, the library is, it has like a huge API to perform partial updates very efficiently over a persisted WebSocket connection, which is something we are not using. We are using like just the web. Uh, For example, little, Something that, that is, uh, for me was like uh, very telling is that they don't support redirect two, so you can't you can do redirect two and get uh, a full page replacement with marking. That doesn't work in a stimulus reflex because that's not part of the, uh, the how the, uh, the philosophy of the library. And that's the only thing we support in True Void with morphing that's the uh, the whole idea of morphing is like use morphing when you are going and uh, redirect you to to existing page so let me put that up from I don't agree that they've been doing this uh for years I don't agree it's the same library like kind of repackaged for by us, uh you know for doing the same okay uh collaborating for sure like uh and I think that uh there are channels and mechanisms to collaborate. Uh, Turbo is open source. Uh, you can, uh, if you have an idea, you can create a pull request and you can discuss with the team. Um, there are also other channels that are kind of internal where some folks uh, are there, some folks from 37 signals out there are, are there. The hotwire maintainers, which are not all 37 signals are there. And we can discuss ideas and and everything uh, that will that's completely you know uh, feasible, and you know neither me or anyone at, at the company will be against that. But uh, that narrative of, we've been doing this for years. No, sorry, I don't agree.
0: What books are you reading right now? Technical books, or which books have you have you gotten the most value out of in the past as a programmer from when you started until this very moment sure that's a good question
1: yeah that that one like pragmatic thinking and learning is incredibly valuable uh and i will recommend that one to to anyone because uh it really created a very big impression uh myself uh because i'm i have always been fascinated by how the brain works and it it feels a very practical advice because we are always working with our brains where you're yeah. a you're always like using your brain thinking getting deep into problems getting out so knowing how it works it, it can be very very useful very useful uh, and uh, that one is, is fascinating in terms of books that have been very influential in my career uh, there are several uh, when that I think that I think that Every person is different regarding, like, which book, like, kind of opened your mind to what would you, like, go to look, and so would design to be. For me, a big one was uh, the, the original refactoring book by Martin Fowler, not because of the uh, catalog of refactors itself, but but by how the code looked. It was, like, the first time I saw, like, very beautifully organized code, uh, very well-designed methods with clear names, clear interfaces. And it really ca- ca- caused a tremendous impression. <laughs> Myself had a, uh, a lot of uh, influence. Uh, domain-driving design was another, uh, by, by Eric Evans, domain-driving design was another huge one uh, for me. Uh, this idea, of always like the domain uh, concepts and vocabulary uh, As so important to capture that in code, so that you can reason about the system. Uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly important, and one of the yeah, I, 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 one of those books that really had a huge influence uh, on myself uh, to um, uh, trying to think. well, back in the day, I used to be. Uh, I used to love like design patterns. And uh, there is like uh, the Gov book by uh, the gang of four design patterns. Uh, I don't know was it. I think it's design patterns by Eric Gamma and, and other folks. Not that design patterns are that useful. Like it's, it's like the refactoring book. It's a huge catalog of patterns uh, that maybe you get to use like frequently like a very small subset of those but more than the the catalog itself it makes you think about objects like in kind of a non-trivial way it kind of refines your your sense of object oriented design uh and for me again i studied that one early in my career and it definitely had a a big influence and uh there is another one by kent beck which is uh small talk patterns uh which is something is one that entered my radar because uh david d h uh, h recommended it like many years ago again it was uh a big one and that's 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 probably more uh well it's in a small talk like the language is small talk but it's very easy to to read to read and follow along and it's full of patterns that that are it's not like the Gov design patterns those are more practical and you use them more often, I'd say. And uh it's a, another great foundational book I would recommend to to anyone. And uh uh right now I have like one book I have is like uh uh a recent Rails book by Dimitri. I, I don't remember the author name. Is it, is it Dimitri the the guy from Evil Martians uh which is uh, yeah, layered, layered Rails applications. It's a recent book. I, I got it like back in the day uh, when it was launched, and I'm I normally like can read like one page before uh, getting to sleep because I I fall mm-hmm. asleep very very quickly, and I'm kind of uh, going through it, and it's uh, I'm liking it a lot. Uh, I think it's I, I I don't I don't remember the, the name.
0: Yeah, that was uh, Vladimir Dementev.
1: Bloody beer, yeah. Bloody beer, Bloody
0: bill. yeah. Thank you for your time, Jorge. Jorge, what's your surname? Jorge. Manrubia. Jorge Manrubia. Manrubia. Yeah, thank
1: you. Okay. I,
0: I, I, I'm never going to get your name, <laughs> the pronunciation That's of good, your man. name, right? That's good. Yeah, so thank you very much for your time and thank you for coming on the Rails Changelog. Okay, it was my pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Oh,
0: thank you so much.